What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are mine and those of the guest. Today, Christopher Baker is with us. He's a 14-year firefighter, uh, works in Northwestern California, and uh, he came into the greater Phoenix area for the FDSOA conference. He's a regional rep for the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, uh, the Everyone Goes Home program. So we sat down to talk about that program and about a bunch of other things. So I hope you enjoy it. Why why be here and why do this and why care? Like literally you're in Scottsdale, Arizona at this beautiful Scottsdale Plaza Resort. And you know, I'm really surprised you guys had green grass here and water and lakes. Coming from California, I thought this was the desert. We put a, we put a, we invest a lot in our lawns. There's a lot of water sprinkler systems that are going all Beautiful. the time. Beautiful for the listeners that are listening. Your audience, you got to come to Scottsdale. I was talking to my wife. I was like, babe, this place is beautiful. Like literally, we've been driving around and looking at the the golf courses yeah. and the country clubs here. And mm-hmm. we went to Old Town last night to Kelly's. We had a fundraiser for the the Cancer uh, Society. And then also for the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, um, it was amazing. Literally beautiful. I got to give it out to Scottsdale and and to Phoenix. This area is amazing. Yeah. The the thing about the Valley of the Sun uh, that I find quite remarkable is that there's a couple of months out of the year that are pretty freaking miserable and hot. And even during the summer when it's really hot, you get up early, you can still go for a mountain bike ride. You can go for a trail run. You just got to get up early. Or you focus on indoor sports, <laughs> you know, uh, during those seasons. But like nine months out of the year, it's fantastic. Some people can't, you know, they got to have snow-capped mountains surrounding them. But it's uh, there's a lot of a lot of good reasons to live here, you know. And wow. if you're a golfer, oh, uh, forget yeah. about it. It's yeah. freaking amazing golf. So my buddies last night, I have buddies that are here, and my buddies, uh, uh, Kane Nixon, and. Some of my other friends, PJ uh, Lingley, uh, you know, a couple of my other friends, advocates for the Everyone Goes Home program here in Arizona. They're like, hey, Bake, we have snow here. I'm like, get out of town. I'm like, really? You guys have snow? And they're kind of messing with me a lot last night. You know, you could go two hours this way or, you know, there's snow. And I'm like, man, coming from California, I thought you guys are like the desert. <laughs> that well, that is the other thing about Arizona. If you go, you know, two and a half hours north of Flagstaff, you got a big old mountain up there. There's a ski resort. There's... You know, not the greatest skiing in the world, but they're skiing and, um, you know, Mount Lemon to the south of us. And then, you know, five and a half hours, six hours to the southeast, you got San Diego. So it's not, you got an international airport. There's a lot of good reasons to live here. So uh, obviously the good weather is why you came out here, right? But you, right. <laughs> but, yeah. But more specifically, you came out here for the FDSOA concert. Or, I keep doing that. Not the concert for the FDSOA conference. And, um, you know, specifically advocating for the National Firefighter uh, Foundation. So tell me a little bit about that foundation. I mean, I've heard about it a, a, t- a bunch of times in my life, but haven't really been involved with it. Don't know, really know what that foundation is about or what they do. I know what it's about, but what do they do? So the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation is based out of Emmitsburg, Maryland, and we're here to support the, the families of the fallen. And we have different uh, divisions, and one of the divisions is, is all about the fire family. Um, I first came to know about the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation when I was in the fire academy in 2009. And we, we did a car wash. We raised $5,000 in a car wash. And all those proceeds, all that money, we donated back to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. I've had a couple line of duty deaths in, in my own career with different agencies that I've been affiliated with. Um, previously, my, my uh, captain with Pinole six months into the job, he, he died from brain cancer. He had a very rare, uh, brain cancer. And, um, we saw literally how hard it was for his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole, all of us would take turns driving him to UCSF in San Francisco for his, uh, procedures. And, and one of the doctors over there is on the leading forefront of the, uh, uh, of the laser. They have this thing where they can go in and, and, and it's called a cyber knife and they can cut out the cancer cells. Mm-hmm. And so we would take turns and, and a lot of the guys I worked with, I got to really hand it to them. That's what we're all about. Like literally what we do in the fire services, when somebody's hurting, we get all of our resources and we're really good at helping people. 
And we just all get together. And, and at this point in time, Rich, he did a lot for the fire service. He was one of the presidents with the, with the IFF with 1230. He went to Washington, D.C. to lobby for firefighter safety and health. This <laughs> you think I do a lot. Captain Voicey, like literally did so much. Thirty five years he gave to the city of Panole in blood, sweat and tears and did a lot for the union, did a lot for the fire service. And in six months, we saw Rich basically go from healthy to, um, you know, to hurting. And then Rich ultimately passed away and he donated his body. The family donated his body to science so they could they could study basically what happened. And so that that whole experience and going through that and, you know, Rich and I are not by no means blood family, but we're part of the fire family. And I still feel for, you know, his wife, Nancy, and his daughter, Sarah, and um, the whole Voicey family. Yeah. So from that experience, literally, um, from fast forward till now, I got involved with the advocacy. I became a regional manager for, for California, Arizona, Nevada, and Hawaii uh, for the Everyone Goes Home program. It's Region 9. I have um, advocates that, that report to me, and I assist them. In, in sharing our message and I'm more affiliated with the everyone goes home program and the everyone goes home program is off the 16 life safety initiatives, Tampa one, 2004, a lot of fire service professionals got together in Florida and they were discussing, you know, we our our line of duty desks were just on the rise. And if you look at the past history and the data and the statistics, you're talking over a hundred plus 130 plus. And so for years they came up with, that we need to reduce, they came up with some measurables, and we need to reduce the line of duty deaths by 50%. Their goal was to get under 100. And we, we achieved that. This year, uh, the, the data just came out based off of 2019, we got under 60. And that's an amazing uh, joint effort. I, I know with the hometown heroes, and I know with um, cancer, 9-11, we're losing a lot of brothers and sisters still from 9-11 because of, of their exposures that they were exposed to from 9-11. Um, those, those numbers, obviously, um, are going to impact trying, to, trying for us to get to our goal of, of trying to keep everything uh, 50% of where we were in 2004. So moving forward... Uh, the Everyone Goes Home program, we get out to the community colleges, we get out to the conferences, we get out to the fire departments, the, the different uh, chief officer meetings, training officer meetings, and we just want to show what we can provide to the fire service. We have the, the Fire Hero Learning Network. You can go to our website, everyonegoeshome.com, or you can go to the Fire Hero Learning Network, and there's online courses that you can take. There's 12 of them. Um, they're about an hour each. You get a certificate if you complete um, all the certificates, you actually get an additional certificate that you, that you can actually have. And a lot of that is just on, you know, um, things that you can do as far as health and fitness and wellness, uh, cancer prevention, um, stress, stress first aid is just kind of another um, uh, subject and area. Um, after action reviews, uh, there's one on there on fire sprinklers. There's all these different things that, that can help educate a firefighter on what tools are available in our toolbox. Um, so I've been involved with this group for three years and it's something that I'm very passionate about that I care about. And I'm just humbled and honored to be here at the FDSOA working with the, the national fallen firefighters foundation, the everyone goes home program, all the, the, the executive board here with the FDSOA and the, the today actually is the kickoff of the health and safety conference. Um, we had a great keynote speech, speaker that came in did an amazing keynote i just took a class with uh, jack sullivan with uh, uh, the emergency responder safety institute which he does everything on traffic um, i've also experienced a line of duty death where one of my uh, previous uh, members i i worked with was hit on the roadway and killed and so that's I'm, something i seem to be hearing more and more about yep. you know this is happening more frequently yeah so that's something i'm also passionate about because we're on the roadways all the time right and uh we're like you know pinballs out there and 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 even though we wear a vest and we we uh have a good situation awareness yeah. uh, there's a lot of distracted yeah the drivers, drivers. do not right yeah, yeah. They're on their phones or you know they're um, uh putting their makeup on or they're reading something or 
you know, they're trying to adjust the radio or they're, the, I just heard of a, a situation that just happened in this class where somebody was looking at their navigational stuff and they were trying to do their mapping on their, in their vehicle. And that's how they hit the, yeah. the firefighter. So, yeah, it's interesting, you know, back in the olden times, right? When, yeah. when radios first went into cars, the conversation was these radios are going to distract people. And then, of course, we began to, you know, get accustomed to the radios. And, and now it's, I've got a handheld device in my phone. And I can't tell you, I, I was driving into work in the, in the wee hours of the morning, caught in a traffic jam. And it's, it was still dark. I was in the wintertime last year. And it's dark. And, I, and I'm sitting there kind of creeping along at like one mile an hour. And I look and all the cars around me, the driver's faces are illuminated because they're looking down at their phones. Yep. And I'm like, dude, and I get it. We're only going one mile an hour right now. However, I'm, I'm 100% certain that you guys are not putting that phone down when you hit the accelerator and, and we get up to speed here. You're, you know, it's just a, it's amazing how much of a distraction we allow ourselves to have, right? Doing this incredibly complex task while driving and then we're navigating the phone, searching, you know, like, ah, I'm bored. I'm going to look at my Instagram or whatever. It's freaking ridiculous. And, you know, of course, around accident scenes or whatever, you know, we, one errant step, I had an old salty firefighter tell me one day, he goes, yeah, man, when I walk around the truck, I keep my hand on it at all times. I keep my hand on the truck so that I just make sure I don't walk too far out. I'm like, well, that's a smart idea. Something I instituted in my, in my career in the early days. And of course, another critical piece, we see images all the time of trucks that get plowed into, right? So apparatus placement, and um, in our organization, you know, we no longer, you can no longer use an, you know, a small apparatus to block a lane. You got to use a fire truck or something, at least in a, a full size LT, you know, to uh, block a lane because it's not enough to have an SUV blocking traffic. That's not enough. It'll plow right through it. So anyway, to, it's a, it's such an important thing to, to be mindful of. Speaking of, you know, the increase in, in roadway incidents, do you guys have data on what is the number one killer of firefighters these days? Because I know for the longest time it was, it was uh, cardiac insult. But I feel like cancer has been so prolific lately. Is, is cancer, has it eclipsed it yet? So that's a great question. So as far as cardiac, that is the number one killer right now is cardiac. So I just spent the last two days in HSO class, health and safety officer class, uh, Chief Bruce Varner. Uh, taught the class and it was an excellent, excellent class. I highly, all your listeners out, out in the audience, definitely put that on your list of, of classes to take. And we went over the data and we went over the trends and, and, and as far as cardiac, as far as 1582 and 1583, as far as having a, a, a medical surveillance program and doing annual physicals and, and trying to catch, uh, catch it early. My previous agency, we had a engineer that went in to do his annual stress test, got on the treadmill, they hooked him up on the 12 lead, and he actually, in the process of doing his test, had a silent heart attack, had a widow maker. And so they literally uh, were, were able to uh, get him the care that he needed. And uh, he's, unfortunately, he had to retire from the fire service. He wasn't able to do that position anymore. Um, but uh, as far as being fit for duty, that's important. We talked about uh, Chief Gary Ludwig has a new campaign now where, uh, you know, if you don't feel well, don't let that be your farewell. We have guys, you hear stories all the time where guys are like, hey, I'm, I'm not feeling too good. I'm just going to go sleep it off or, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just going to stay here. You guys go on the call and um, I'm just going to stay here at the station. I'm not feeling too good. And then we come back and they're dead. Yeah. And so our our mission now is literally how good can we take care of Mrs. Smith? How how good can we take care of the public if we can't take care of ourselves? And we have this feeling it's it's interesting the last 2 days I've kind of had this epiphany. Uh we don't give up. We we literally will you hear these stories of these 24 and 25-year-old wildland firefighters that are out on these huge fires in in Australia as we speak right now, Australia, yeah. New Zealand. Last year, California, the worst season in history of California. You look at these wildland uh, firefighters that are young, 20, 24, 25, and they're getting dehydrated out on these wildland fires, and they're dying. Like, they're having cardiac incidents. You know, they're, they're having heart attacks. Perfect 
physical condition at the, the top of their physical ability. And they're having heart attacks because they're dehydrated um, because they're pushing themselves so hard. They don't give up. And so we talked a little bit earlier about ego and we talked about how, you know, back in the day, I can remember when I was new, you wouldn't call for mutual aid. Right. Uh, I heard a chief Bruno story from chief Varner where I don't, I apologize. I don't remember the, 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 the company, but one company was out on a, on a furniture, uh, semi fire fight in the fire for four hours. And he was a battalion chief at the time. And then, uh, uh, chief Bruno wasn't listening to that, the, the channel, the radio that they were on when he came in like seven or eight o'clock in the morning, he heard that this, this company was out fighting this fire all night by themselves and so he went out there, and I guess from what Chief Farner was saying, he's like, hey, why didn't you guys call for help? And they were like, hey, we got this. We don't need help. But literally where that, <laughs> where that incident was, they had four companies that they could have called for help. Right. But we have a hard time of calling for help. So the, the, the premise of, of the Everyone Goes Home program and everything that's happening with the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, the IFC, I'm also with the Safety, Health, and Survivability section. Chief Todd LaDuke is out here. Um, uh, another good friend of mine. Um, I'm, I've been on the safety stand down committee for the last two years and it's amazing for your audience. The people that are listening, come to these conferences, get plugged in and you can talk to people from all over the world. There's literally the foremost experts are here and you have the opportunity to learn about what's happening outside your sphere of influence, uh, your own region, right. your own state. Right. It's interesting you say that, you know, the sphere of influence, but I think sometimes we, we allow our spheres to be, our little network is so tiny that it's inbred, right? We're feeding in information that we, only the information that we know in, it's, it's circling around in our organization and it gets recycled. Um, and we, if we're going to be professional and, and, and we're going to elevate our game as a national fire service, we have to be willing to, there's a couple of things we got to do. We got to listen to, we got to do research and listen to data, we have to take into consideration other people's experiences and allow it to shape and inform what we do. You know, and we have to be global in our thinking. Not every, you know, uh, well, let's talk about this. There was a, there was an incident uh, that was caught on video in New York city recently. We talked about it earlier, but I'm gonna bring it up again, where the crew was using a straight stick to knock down a parapet and to knock it into the building rather than allow it to fall out into the street. And people on the uh, social media networks were losing their mind. And you have to stop, take the emotion out of it, right? Oh my gosh, they're using a ladder truck in a way that I've never seen before. And I'm freaking out because that's a multi-million dollar piece of apparatus and they're going to destroy it. Maybe, but maybe not. Right, so stop and stop thinking about things from the the world that you live in, the operational context in your neck of the woods, and broaden out your vision. Why would and ask yourself this: Why would New York do that? Maybe, just maybe, they have a reason, and that's something you got to take into consideration. That the, the there's a lot of things that are happening in a broader network uh, around the fire service that can help shape what we do, and it has to be driven by the idea. That it is, it is not okay to die in the line of duty. It can happen, and sometimes it is courageous. And when it happens, it is because somebody was doing something very heroic. However, most of the time, it's senseless. And I don't think we need to, uh, your family, your friends, uh, do not want to see you perish for a building. The building they're going to plow down to the ground it was planted on in the first place. They're going to plow it right down. And you're going to die in that building? Freaking unacceptable. So we come to conferences like this where we can we can talk to people who are thinking about firefighting, who are thinking about the consequences of the operations that we work in. And we listen. And we say, okay, what's what's good about what he's saying, what's bad about it. We, th- we take the good, we throw away the bad, we apply it in our operational context, in our neck of the woods. We find ways to do things to, to be successful. Anyways, I'm rambling, but I, but I, man, that it, it just twists me because guys are guys get so hung up, guys and gals get so hung up on this idea that they're going to sacrifice it all. And you don't have to. We can be better than that as, as a fire service. Yeah, definitely. And uh, to... Um 
go along. I echo your sentiments, and you really have to think about it. Uh, we all have families, and my wife and kids are at home. Uh, I have a, a five-year-old daughter, and I have a, a son that's turning three in March, and they they the whole everyone goes home is important because we, I have to take care of my family. Yeah. Uh, if if something happened to me right now, I'm not my family's not ready to. You know, my wife's not ready to be a single mom. My kids are not ready to, you know, live without a father. And all the stuff that I do for the fire service, uh, you know, uh, I know I do a lot and I volunteer a lot. And we can kind of get into that a little bit. Um, But, uh, like, literally, I'm not ready to leave. No. I'm 41. I have another – I joke with everybody. I have another 16 years left to go. We have to retire. 57 in California. And, and I know we have a, we'll probably hopefully get some sort of a drop program and I'm going to probably be doing this until I'm 60 and, um, Lord willing, I hope I make it till 60. And a lot of us, our brothers and sisters, they make it five years past retirement hmm. and we work our, we work our butts off. I mean, we'll politically correct here. Uh, we work our butts off and, and think about it this way. Your agency is going to pay you $3 million dollars. Uh, for your career and and lord willing if you can get a 30-year career that's a victory and then depending on your retirement system they're going to pay you another three million in retirement and it was the 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 fdsoa director uh chief rich marucci uh in our hso class yesterday with chief varner his new thing is um yeah it's it's all about everyone goes home but we want you to uh, break the pension systems because the longer <laughs> that you stay alive, you know, that means that they have to pay you, you know, and that's what we should all be thinking about is we're going to and and don't take this the wrong way. We're going to kill ourselves in our jobs. And we do. Chief Bruno would say that we are going to put our bodies between, you know, them, Mrs. Smith and the incident that we're trying to mitigate the fire. So we're, we're that buffer. And we would we that's what we sign up for. We sign up to literally go out there and and handle the incident. And we're gonna our bodies take that toll. Our minds, our yeah. hearts, our our souls, you know, you look at, at the mental wellness, you look at the physical, you look at our suicides. Yeah. You know, everything's on the rise right now when it comes to PTSD, PTSI, and all this. And that's why you come to these conferences to learn about that. So we're going to do all of this tooth and nail. We're going to get banged up. We have these, we have injuries. Our mind gets injured. Our heart gets injured. Bodies get injured. And then we're going to do all of this for that retirement that we're, we're hoping that we're going to have. And then our brothers and sisters that have done their time, they're not, they're not able to enjoy that because they haven't taken care of themselves. So for a lot of the firefighters that are out there listening, and, and I know fitness is very important to you. It's important to me. Uh, we have to take care of our, our hearts, our cardiac. We have to take care of our minds. You know, you, you great speech, right? I don't know if you watch football. We can kind of cross-promote uh, <laughs> uh, Seattle, right? They, they just lost, and uh, uh, they just had a player that came back, and I know it went all over social media, right? And he was talking about it. At, uh, he's probably was his last game, and he was talking about it, and it was funny how he was saying, but – you got to take care of your money. You got to take care of your finances. You got to take care of your mind because that's important, you know, especially in football and firefighting, you know, concussions. And then, you know, you have to plan for, for retirement and, and football players and athletes and firefighters, we have to save our money. We have to have deferred comp. We have to make sure we don't work too much overtime. We have to save for retirement. And then we have to have a plan like, you know, all of us have a plan. I, a lot of friends that I worked with, you know, they wanted to go buy a boat or they wanted to go travel or they wanted to go to move, move to Idaho. We have a lot of firefighters in California that are moving to Idaho now, you know. And so we, we work tooth and nail for 30 years and then we get to retirement and our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our souls, our fitness level, um, our cardiac condition, um, cancer. We talked about cancer earlier um, the cancer rates are, are huge right now. So you come to the FDSOA, you come to this conference to learn about clean cab. You come here to learn about deconning. Um, you come here to learn about uh, exposures and washing your turnouts and having a second set of turnouts and using medical gloves. 
we never thought about this. Like when you're loading hose or well, yeah. Or what are you talking about? Well, it'd be just you t- you doff your turnouts, right? And you're you're taking you're putting your turnouts into the extractor. Why not wear medical gloves so that way you don't have all those contaminants on your on right. your hands? And we talked about this yesterday. You know, uh, Brunacini, another great quote from him. You know, fire engines are godlike vehicles, right? They should nah. be a, a personally and professionally appreciated. And I, I'm a driver, and I like to have a clean rig. And I pride myself on having the cleanest rig in the fleet. And uh, what is it? The first thing we do, we get back to the fire station after a job. We wash the rig. Well, why not wash us first? Like literally go out of service, go shower, get all that de- the contaminants off you. Yeah. Take care of your turnouts, your gear. And then go wash the rig. Yeah. But we in the fire service, that whole image and, and pride, we talked about ego earlier. We think all oh, tools, the, the SCBAs, the equipment, and it's like we think of us last. We literally think about us last. And so we need to put ourselves first in order to take care of Mrs. Smith, in order to take care of the public. We've got to take care of ourselves. And if we're not taking care of us, right. we can't take care of them. That's exactly right. So, so many times I think folks get hung up on this idea that we are here for Mrs. Smith, right? We are here for them. We took an oath. We, we swore an oath that we would serve the community. And that is 100% true. You cannot do that if you are sick or dying or dead. So with that in mind, you have to intelligently consider how you're going to keep yourself well enough to serve the community the way you signed up to do, right? I heard a I'm not going to name names, but I heard a podcast where uh, a chief from some location said, if you take the SC, talking about clean cabs, he says, if you take the SCBAs out of the cabs of fire trucks, you are killing people. And dudes, we have not had SCBAs in our neck of the woods in the cab of the truck since the 1980s. And it does, it's about skill and proficiency. You know, I can dismount the truck, throw my pack, do an on-scene report, and size up the event in seconds, right? So this idea that the clean cab concept, I'm not saying that you completely buy into it. We have to be smart about it and find the most intelligent ways for us to uh, serve the community and protect ourselves simultaneously. You know, back in the day, I'm sure guys were like, well, putting on turnout gear, that's ridiculous. How much time is that going to waste, Right. But fires have gotten hotter and and more deadly than ever before. Okay, we got to adapt. We got to be smart. We got to be thoughtful about it. Cancer, the the products of combustion that we are being exposed to now are freaking deadly. So what are we going to do to protect ourselves? Well, let's freaking figure out what's in that smoke and find ways to do this more effectively without killing ourselves. Otherwise. You know, if, if all of our firefighters get wiped out, we're constantly training rookies. No one's ever going to learn anything. Just bullet fodder, right? So you you asked a, a, an important question. And we always ask this as a teacher, as a student, why? Why are we here? And, and if you think about it, the reason why I'm here, I'm here for my family. I'm here for my fellow firefighters. I'm here for my agency, my organization, which will be unnamed, uh, West Fresno area of California. Um, I'm here to take this information back to my department and I'll fly. Like I, I did shift trades to come out here. My department's not providing any financial reimbursement. I came out here. I'll take the information and I'll, I'll take it back to my agency and my fellow firefighters. I hope if they are listening, hopefully they, they, this encourages them to get out of their neighborhood to go and get information and bring it back because that's what we have to do. Yeah. We have to take that information back. So what I'm going to take back to my department, my agency it's simple. The clean cab concept, it's, I think there's a lot of uh, interpretation and in the way it's perceived, and there's a lot of haters. There's a lot of mutts or there's a lot of firefighters that are out there that, that don't understand. They're not here. You're not going to see them at these kind of events, right? And, and they can talk smack and they can talk garbage, but it's like find out what it is. Don't just, don't just uh, you know, change. We could talk about Chief Bruno and change, you know, Two of the things that firefighters hate is the way things are and, and change. And so right. we have to change, and we do. We're killing firefighters. Well, th- I mean, go back. Think about SCBAs. The first SCBAs that were put on fire trucks were up in the crow's nest in a box. And, right? Yeah, and Captain Voicey would tell you that. When he was dying, I was like, Cap, you know, what, do I, what do I tell my students? 
what do you want me to tell the rookie, the boot, the plug, the new firefighters that are coming up? He told me a story. When he started, this was 40 years ago, obviously, before I was even, probably before I was even born. They were in a suitcase, a green suitcase, up on top of the rig. Yes. And they, they would have to climb up on the top of the rig, and they would have to get this steel bottle, bulky, you know, the snorfleupagus, you know, the big old oh, the hose, low pressure hose and the regulator. And, you know, that was their pack. And he told me, Bake, uh, we didn't climb on top of the engine. Like, we didn't. We didn't do that. And and at the time, you know, they would go fight a fire. They they wouldn't grab the pack because they didn't want to do the work. And so, you know. It was an extra step. Yeah, it was an extra step. And who wants to climb up on top of the rig, get something heavy down that's in a suitcase? So if you think about technology, the last two days here at the FDSOA conference, they've had the apparatus and conference. And that came from FDIC. And FDIC allowed the FDSOA 30 years ago, this is their 30th anniversary, to have the FDIC apparatus conference. So we're here with uh, several vendors that are showing the latest and greatest in technology and what's available. The whole clean cab concept, let's talk about it. Like That's the reason for these podcasts. Let's get that information out there. So let's think about it. There's some good videos that are out there. So we're going to go fight a job. We're going to go fight a fire. We're going to be in a, in a hazmat. Let's, let's, let's call it a hazmat because it is. It's literally a toxic soup. We're going to take all of those byproducts of combustion. We're going to put them on our gear. Then we're going to go sit in the engine. Now, our engines are office. Literally, when we're not at the firehouse, we're not at the drill grounds, we're in the engine. So we're going to go take our gear that's contaminated, dirty. We're going to go sit in an engine in our breathable space where we drive around. We go to the store. We, we do prevention. We go do inspections. We do hydrants. We spend almost all of our time inside the cab. We don't have open cabs since the 70s, right? That's our breathable space. Then we're going to get back to the fire station, right? We're going to clean the engine first. We talked about this. We're going to clean the engine first. We're going to take care of us last. We're going to make sure we're in service because we got to be in service. So we got to clean the tools, clean the packs, which I don't think we're doing a very good job of. No. These dirty, contaminated packs are off-gassing inside the engine, and we don't decon them. And so I've, I have friends over in Sweden, and they showed me the Schaeffler model where they actually have dishwashers, like industrial wash machines that they put their packs into oh, that they're able to clean. Do they have a secondary pack they throw on the truck to go back in service kind of thing? Like, So I know it's kind of new. I know we're yeah. in 2020. You know, we're in the future, but... <laughs> Two sets of freaking turnouts. Yeah. Have two sets of turnouts. There's grants yeah. that are out there. People, for the listeners that are listening, go write a grant. Yeah. AFG grants. Get a well, second so, set. So I'll, so the, the fear that folks have with a clean cab, the way I the way I think it's presented is that you will never have your turnouts in the cab of the truck. So they're going to be in a closet or a cabinet on the back of the truck or somewhere in the rears. And so we get dispatched. I got to stop the truck. I got to get out. I got to go to that cabinet and then I got to get dressed on the side of the road. Or I got to go to the scene and get dressed on the side of the road in front of, you know, the family whose lives are in danger and your families are being, who are in peril, et cetera. So that's the, what's presented, right? As this, uh, as the reality. How do you see it? So I see it like this. It's, it's, it's simple. You know, um, you have two sets of turnouts. You have a clean pair. That clean pair obviously has been, has been, uh, clean through an extractor. You're using the appropriate uh, soap and detergent, uh, you know, per the manufacturer's recommendations. Your gear's clean, which it should be. And you, you know, gear's expensive. It's probably about twenty five hundred to three thousand dollars a set. So firefighters should be taking care of your equipment because that's that's the equipment that's going to be saving you from from your body in that fire. So take care of your equipment. Second thing is that pack. I don't think we're doing a very good job of cleaning our SCBAs. We need to do a better job of cleaning the SCBAs because they're off-gassing in our office, in our space. The other thing that I think so, is... So, hold on, let me back you up, though. So, you take a clean clean set of turnouts and you put it in a cabinet? Or do you feel like that, that you put that clean set and you keep it in the cab with you? It depends. Um, depends on your department's SOPs and SOGs. Right. We all have to turn out in a minute anyways. So, if you're telling me that it's going to delay the time, if you let's just say you do both. Let's just say you have them inside the cab or if you have them in a cabinet. Okay, if they're in the cab, you shouldn't be getting dressed going to the call. 
And so that's what's killing a lot of firefighters. The last two days, we've been talking about a lot of mm-hmm. firefighters not wearing their seatbelts. Yeah. And so the Everyone Goes Home program through the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, we have a seatbelt pledge. We should all be wearing our seatbelts. As a chauffeur, as a driver, my rig does not move unless you're seatbelted. So yeah. we've had interns the last, uh, say, six months. They, they don't get that. And so I had to tell a story to one of the interns. They don't you know, get what? What do you mean? That you have to wear your seatbelt. They don't understand that? They don't understand it. So <laughs> okay. I, I put it to them like this. If you want to ride this ride, you got to wear your seatbelt. If I have to ask you again, you're staying at the station. We'll go run the call, and then you could be here. And then finally it clicked to him, i got to put my seatbelt on. And, yeah. you know, we're going to a call. Miss Smith calls 911. There's no 912. So she's expecting us to get out of the barn. So I'm sitting here trying to explain to this intern Hey, I can't I can't drive the engine. Like code three lights are on. I'm getting ready to pull out the base. But but you're 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 basically because you haven't seatbelted your seatbelt, we can't go help Mrs. Smith. Yeah. So if I have to ask you four times to put your seatbelt on, next time it's gonna be get out and stay at the station and we're gonna go take care of Mrs. Smith. Right. So literally that's what we need to do in the fire service. We have to we have to think about it. We have to be safe. All of us, it takes all of us to get to the call. It takes all of us to mitigate the emergency, and it takes all of us to put our seatbelts on to come back home. So what's happening? The reason why I'm bringing this up, people are taking their seatbelts off to put their packs on, right? Because they, they got to be out of the box, right? They want to be yep. dressed, ready to go. I've seen new firefighters in the academy get out of the cab with their SCBAs on. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, what are you guys doing, Right. We have a rule in my agency. You don't wear your helmet inside the rig. Like, come on now. And so your vision is going to be skewed. You're not going to be able to do your, a, a good size up. And you shouldn't be scared or worried about time and efficiency. Practice, train, do drills with your gloves on. You should be able to put your mask on with your gloves. And you should be able to mask up in 10 seconds. So if it takes a, a minute for you to put your turnouts on, and it takes you – you should be able to put your, your, your turnouts and your pack on in a minute 15. Ten seconds to put your mask on. So you're talking a minute 30 at the door with tools, with a charged hose line, ready to help Mrs. Smith. If you can't do that, then you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be in the fire service if you can't do that. Train, be proficient, have the right physical fitness, have the right uh, cardiorespiratory program, and if you're not taking care of yourself physically, then how can you take care of Mrs. Smith? She yeah. expects us, right? She's calling us because she expects us to be able to save her. And if we can't do that, I mean, literally, what I tell my students is maybe this isn't the job for you. If you can't hold yourself to those expectations, because the public, they expect when they call us that they're going to get a highly trained, highly proficient public safety servant that's going to come to mitigate their emergency. So I think that's where we're losing a lot of firefighters is because they're getting dressed in the back seat. They're putting their packs on. They're not wearing their seat belts. They're putting their turnouts on their gear. And, you know, that's a great question if it's better in the cab or if it's in a compartment. Um, when you're on scene, you talked about it. Well, I can, you know, it's interesting. I think about that and there's some weird little hiccups with it so in our neck of the woods we have a a mechanism or sorry a mechanism we have a way of doing it that we've established is pretty good so what we do is we have two sets of turnouts everybody has two sets your clean set is in the cab that way as you're going around um you shouldn't be turning out when you're driving down the road right now that being said if you're going down the road if you can keep your seatbelt on i when i was working in the back seat i could get my boots on get it up under my hips without taking my seatbelt off and there's a way to get your coat on. You just got to be careful because you end up with your headset tangled up in your coat or your yeah. whatever. You got to be careful <laughs> as right. you get tangled up. But you can get most of the way dressed in the back of the truck. Yeah. The um, But it is not 100% not okay to take your seatbelt off. Right. This is something you've been taught since you were a child. Like you... Just because you're inside of a fire truck does not make you impervious to death, to death and dying. Or you know, we've trucks roll over every year, and it's not always our fault. We get hit by other vehicles, what have you. So, one, uh, you gotta find a way. Whether you pull over to the side of the road and get dressed, whatever. But like I said, we keep our turnouts, our clean turnouts, in the rig. 
you go on a fire, you fight a fire, save lives, rip people from the clutches of death, extinguish the fire, etc. Then you come out, you do a gross decon. So we have a, a, a low pressure hose line. We do a, a gross decon um, with with each other, and then we take those wet turnouts and you bag them, and you mm-hmm. bag them in such a way that they're you can access them. Uh, should you get a fire. So you peel them off, put them inside of a trash bag, tie it with a knot and seal it. And then you get, you know, you either cover, a lot of guys are using ambo sheets or covering the sheets, uh, covering the seats. And um, you get up in the seat. You don't want to leave your funk on the seat. So you cover the seat or whatever you have to do, change your clothes if you need to, whatever it is. And then you head back to the station. You do a personal decon. You put your clean set of gear on the truck. You take your dirty set. You send it off to be laundered or you launder it at the station, whatever setup you have. And should you have the unlikely event or the fortune, however you want to look at it, to catch another structure fire on the way back to quarters, you peel open that bag, you take that hit of exposure, and you put your, you know, you, you pull over and you put your stuff back on, your wet, stinky, dirty stuff, and then you show up and you work the job. So, yeah, did you get exposed again? Yeah, but you were prepared, right? So that, so based on the apparatus setup we have today in our neck of the woods, that's a funk. That's a way to get a clean cab. Um, and if we are being, you know, honest with ourselves, th- we have to take measures to be as safe as possible. So you gotta pull over and get dressed. You gotta find some way to do it. If you're uncomfortable pulling up on scene and doing it, then pull over on the side of the road and get turned out. Well, what about getting dressed at the station? So six one up does another, right? Our, at the our, end of the day, our rule is, you know, you get toned out for for a call. You go to the app bay, your turnouts are there, you get dressed. Yes. And then you get into the rig, you put and then your you seat, seat belt on, and then you roll. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so, it, hey, whatever. here's the thing if that takes too much time, you better get good at it. Yeah. So start working on it. Practice. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, the that's my I guess that's my point. The, the context of the bigger the bigger we, thing here is we should have clean cabs though. So think about it. You know, if we're in our class B's, if we're in our dirty, duty uniform and we're in a dirty seat, then that transfers to the firehouse. Yeah. And so then our stations are 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 you know, uh, I heard a funny toxic. I, I heard a funny uh, a way to <laughs> talk about a study chair. You know, the recliners. You know, um, they're going to get contaminated. And there's rules now with NFPA on how long we can we can have recliners and mm. so then our stations get dirty yeah. and then when we go home to our families we're taking those carcinogens home to our families and so now our kids and our wives and our, our significant others are getting exposed and so if it's a hazmat if we treat it like it's a hazmat why would we take that hazmat into our our engines and why would we take that hazmat back to the firehouse so honestly um we should all our mission right now, our enemy in the fire service is cancer. So if we were the fire service as a collective, if we were to say, you know what, our mission right now is to prevent our brothers and sisters from dying, we're losing firefighters from cancer. So what we're doing right now is killing us. I mean, yeah. if we're really to think about it, right? if what we're doing right now is killing us, then why are we doing it? Right. So the Why? So you come to conferences like this, the FDSOA, get educated, I call it, get a little entertainment, you get a little education, you get to meet people and, and you get to network like we are right right here in Scottsdale. And then you take this information, all this information, you go back to your agency and I hope your listeners, I hope they're on a committee, uh, your apparatus committee, your equipment committee, your PPE committee, safety committee, health and fitness committee. Whatever committee that you're on and you could take this information back and you could say, hey, guys, this is what they're doing in, in Phoenix. Uh, yeah, it sounds a little weird, but, you know, hey, it works for them. And then it's like, OK, well, then what are they doing in Seattle and what are they doing in Boise? You know, what are they doing in other uh, countries? You know, yeah. and we could take that information and we can get it back to our people, present it to the leadership. And then hopefully our leadership can make make decisions and go, you know what? You know what? Yeah, this makes sense. And I know change is hard and we all resist change, but if we don't change right now, we're not going to have a fire service. Right. We know too much, right? It's that we cannot plead ignorance at this point. We know that fires are toxic and full of carcinogens and we know that they're, that these events are giving us cancer. So shame on you. If you're not willing to do a few little things to change, you, you're, you are going to die. 
And yeah, I get it. We're all going to die of something at some point. But heck, man, if you can if you can prolong that and stay available for your family, stay available for customers, and, and be able to do this job into your into your old age and retire and enjoy your retirement and all those things, go off and volunteer and do stuff. But if we're not willing to do some little things to keep ourselves healthy and robust, you know, if you're not willing to work out, if you're not willing to eat clean, if you're not willing to to decon yourself after a fire and then and then find a way to make this you know the the concept of a clean cab make that work in your neck of the woods for your you know I think about it, so the thought that comes to my mind I go okay we got these clean cabs we're going to put the gear in the cabinet if we're we're uh, we went out to the grocery store we're coming back from the piggly wiggly and, and we get popped on a fire you mean I got to get out in the you know I live in the midwest I got to get out in the snow Go get my turnouts <laughs> and put them on. I had an experience here when I was uh, when I was a, a chauffeur, an engineer. Uh, we had a fire, and, and I they're like, "Oh, come on, Rain, you're coming with us." I'm like, "Oh, sweet!" So I run to the back, and it's 115 degrees out, and I step out of my boots onto the pavement, and it free- I couldn't get into my turnout boots fast enough. My feet were friggin' frying, and so. Th- opposite end of the spectrum, right? But if I got to run to the back of the truck, I'm going to have to have a special mat that I put down on the ground <laughs> so that I can step on it before I burn my feet off. Um, you know, likewise, this type of cab in, uh, in the Midwest, you know, Minnesota, they're not going to stop on the side of the road and get their turnouts out of a cabinet. And this, we could talk about this just real quick, like, and I've learned this, uh, this is my seventh national conference that I've had the opportunity to go to firehouse, firehouse expo, firehouse world, FDIC, um, symposiums like this, um, you you learn that we don't have to do it like Phoenix. No, we, we've got to find the way that works in our jurisdiction, right? That's what I'm saying, though. The concept we got to come up with, we got to recognize that cancer is killing us, and then we got to say, okay, there's things we can do. What are they? And then, okay, so we got to you know try to get the carcinogens out of the cab. What does that look like? In Minnesota, what does it look like in Phoenix? What does it look like in Cali? What you know, whatever, right? There's going to be variances that are dictated by your jurisdiction and dictated by your environment, right. etc. But dang it, you got to do something, right? And doing nothing isn't helping. But yeah. the biggest thing that I that we'll we'll piggyback on the uh, the stick in New York, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we have the training chief, just retired communications chief from the FDNY, is here in Scottsdale, and so. Um, that tactic, that strategy, we're not there. We see glimpses of it on social media. We see a 15-second clip. We don't We don't know the conditions. We don't know the size up. We don't know their SOPs, their SOGs. Right. We don't know their training. And we're all Monday morning quarterbacking this incident. And we're bashing our brothers and sisters. And we're turning into bullying and harassment online. And, and Let's firefighters. Let's be clear, not we. It's trolls online. And the firefighters are killing themselves. <laughs> We right. have firefighters that are committing suicide over stuff online. Yeah. You know, so you think about it, these armchair quarterbacks that are going in that know everything, subject matter experts on something they have no clue about. You can come to conferences and you can ask people from the East Coast and New York, hey, why do you guys do that? And that why? Like, why do you do it? Oh, you guys do this. Oh, that's your practice. That's the way you train. Well, you could take that back to your agency. But what they do in New York and the FDNY, it might not work in California. Now, parts of it might, but you don't always have to take stuff that you see online or stuff that they do somewhere else, and you don't have to make it work for your organization. Find out what works. You don't have to change. Is there areas to have continuous improvement? Is there ways to be able to do better? Yes, always. I fail every day. Every day I fail. I wake up in the morning, and I know that I can do better. And I know Mrs. Smith deserves better. Our public, our community, our customers deserve better. They want a public safety professional that's going to continually get better at their craft. And it's, it's us being in this trade and, and being a professional. If we were to treat this like an apprenticeship, if we were to treat this like the trades, like the steel workers, the broiler makers, you know, the pipe fitters, like they know their trade. And for me, the reason why I come to conferences like this is because I don't know everything. I'm not an expert. I learn every day. I make, I've made it my mission to be a lifelong learner. I love learning. And my, my passion is to take information like this and share it with the younger generation. So my podcast, that's what I do with the future firefighter, is I'm able to share that mentorship and that information with the future because we have to keep passing it forward. We have to keep sharing 
No. So I'm glad you brought that up because I totally forgot about that. So tell me about the, the mentorship stuff that you're doing, the Future Firefighter podcast and the website you have and what you're doing over there. So as far as mentorship, mentorship is very important to the future of the fire service and the succession planning of, of continuously improving our, our profession. And I'm here because of my mentors, and I'm sure you're here because of your mentors. And I'll be honest with you, I would not be here if it wasn't for my mentors. My mentors, they believe in me more than I believe in myself. Yeah. And if I fail, my mentors fail. If I succeed, my mentors succeed. And my mentors keep me in line. They give me good constructive criticism. If I slip up, post something inappropriate on social media, they call me out, which what they should do. If, uh, you know, I'm having problems at home, I can call my mentors and say, hey, you know, I'm having X, Y, Z issue. Uh, my mentors literally have made all the difference. So having a good mentor is, is paramount. Uh, Chief Varner, great mentor. Uh, I got to spend the last two days with him. Breaks and lunches, before class, after class. He's giving me that, like, literally that leadership transfer from Bruno to him, to me. And it's like, I know Chief Bruno is not here with us, but for two days, I felt like Bruno was in the room. And literally, Chief Varner telling all the stories about Bruno and, and Phoenix and all that, that's mentorship. Mentorship happens. It could be formal. It could be informal. Um, it could be planned. It could be scheduled. You should have check-ins. You should have like buddy check Wednesdays where you check in on people. So you should always mentor above and below your rank. You should know positions above and below your rank. Everybody should have a mentee. So we're all here because somebody believed in us. So when we got hired, somebody put their name on us. Somebody said, hey, you know what? You know, he's going to be a great firefighter. She's going to be a great firefighter. We need to hire this person. And then let's invest in them. So we're investing into people. We need to develop people. We need to have career action plans. We need to have goals and goal setting. And uh, I, I heard that story, you know, if you don't want to promote, you get a meeting with the chief and, and why don't you want to promote? And I think that's great. You know, you should know your people and mentoring is an opportunity for you to, to, to learn and to, to get some good constructive criticism. I've, I've, I've got some constructive criticism the last two, two days from my mentors and they said, Hey, knock that off, you know, stop doing that. Stop it. You know, you're, 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 you're you know, if you want to promote, and you want to do this, this is very important that you learn this because if you don't learn this, you know, you're not going to be able to, to achieve what you want to achieve. And so as far as mentoring, that's another one of my passions. And I think it's very important to the succession planning of, of our profession. And I'll be honest, if we don't mentor and we don't take care of the future, we're not going to have a, a future in our organization. And so that's something that I do. I'm very passionate about. I'm mentoring five people right now. I've helped 75 candidates get jobs in the fire service. I've paid it forward 75 times. And the only thing that I ask my mentees is you have to pay it forward. I don't charge. Time is expensive. We don't have that much time. My wife, bless her heart, she allows me to volunteer and do all of this. She allows me to answer my phone um, when my mentees call me. I help them with their, with their studying, with their written exams. I help them with interviewing. I help them with you know, probations and the academy, help them with fitness, getting ready for the physical aspects of the academy. And then when they pass probation, okay, you have to pay it forward. I'm going to challenge you that you have to help the future you. So you need to go find somebody out there that was you a year ago, and you have to help them get on the job. And if we do that, we will leave the fire service better than we found it. I like that. Yeah. I've always, I found that, um, you know, there's always been somebody who has helped me understand the big picture, helped me understand the process, helped me, you know, whether it be testing or at whatever level of testing you're at and, and sharing that knowledge and information is so critical. And, you know, if you have some knowledge on this organization, on this job, you have to share it with those who are coming behind you because you didn't, you didn't get it for free. You got it from somebody who learned it from somebody else. And we're passing that information on. Now you don't take it all with a, without you know, critically analyzing it and thinking about, okay, where's this person from? What's this information about? 
does it apply in today's day and age, blah, 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 whatever. You got to be thoughtful about it. But at the same time, you have to seek out information. And then likewise, you have to, you have to give it out. Um, you have to give it away. If you try, if you covet it and you hold that information to yourself, you're not helping anybody. You're not helping the organization that you say you love. Right. right? My, my buddy, Ryan Pennington, you know, he, uh, he, he teaches hoarding all over the, all over the country. And, uh, yeah, my, my wife could teach that class. Too. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I always say, you know, some people are like hoarders, they hoard the information yeah. and then they keep it and it doesn't benefit anybody, you know? And so right. some of us, I, I worked with, I worked with somebody at a previous agency and they never shared anything. They always kept everything. And, and it's sad his legacy when he retired, he left nothing. You don't, you don't leave, you don't leave anything behind. And, and if we really care about this profession, if we really care about this job, we have to really ask ourselves, what is the legacy that we're leaving behind? And are you leaving breadcrumbs? You know, are you going to leave, you know, something that can actually help? Or when you leave your agency, are they going to even remember your name? And that's something that, I mean, hopefully, you know, I hopefully we have a legacy and we, we leave that not only for, well, not know, only for this, but for I, our families. I heard a great analogy. Somebody, uh, this, this old chief, he said, Hey man, he goes, take a bucket of water, five gallon bucket of water. He goes, reach into that bucket as deep as you can. Grab a handful of water, pull it out and watch how fast that water runs out of your hand. He goes, that's how quickly the organization moves on without you. Wow. Once you've retired. So unless you have, the only thing that remains is what's in your heart and what's in your head. That's the only thing you can take with you into the great abyss, right? And so if you, you have to give that, you have to give that away, man, to give that to the people who you're surrounded by, who you're, who you love. You say you love these guys and gals, well, and you're willing to give your life for them. So why don't you share some information, right? Go out and train them and, and um, teach them and have them teach you and, and just give away what you think you hold precious or this information you have. Um, you know, so many people feel that, that knowledge is power uh, or certain not knowledge, but, but information is power, right? If they hold, they covet this information, they hold on to it. Um, but it's, it's a, if you take it with you, it doesn't do anybody any good. And so I really, I think it's fantastic that you're doing, um, you know, mentoring with dudes that are coming up and, uh, you know, giving them what somebody else has shared with you and, and, you know, the things that you've learned along the way, the spirit of service and the spirit of commitment to the fire service, your love of the fire service, sharing that with, uh, with would-be firefighters is so cool and, and so important. And, um, I just appreciate that you're doing that. I, I try to do the same thing with, um, not so much with would be hires, but I do it with, with captain's candidates. And, you know, I feel like, man, becoming a company officer is really hard work. And so, and there's all these like unknowns. So having somebody, I'm like, Hey man, this is what I learned along the way. Let me share it with you. Um, and it seems helpful to people. So if it's helpful to them, I might as well do it. You know, that brings up a great point. And I'm glad that you brought that up is, is um, I was I, I teach mentorship firefighter mentorship. I taught it last year at FDIC. Had a, about 130 students in my class, and from that experience, Chief uh, Jerry Tracy from FDNY reached out to me and said, "Hey, uh, I have this program I made for the FDNY. Would you like it?" Sure, Chief, <laughs> send it to me. Right? He sent me the program that he made for the FDNY, and then uh, uh, another chief from Canada, another chief from Germany. Uh, another chief from France contacted me and said, Hey, we have similar programs. Here you go. And so I was like, now I'm starting to be the contact for mentoring. And so I'm, this is something I'm my little niche, something that I'm passionate about. So for all your listeners, find three things that you're passionate about, find a niche, find somewhere that, you know, if you like X, Y, Z, then learn about that and then share it. So taking in this information about mentoring and, and have the opportunity to go teach it at the national scale the national level, you can go give it away and then you can be that conduit to help other people with it. And now I've had, I can't even tell you, maybe a hundred departments contact me to asking for help develop mentoring programs for their agency. Interesting. Well, it's, it's really critical because recruitment in his, has changed, right? The number of people that show up to take uh, the exam, they're not as many as they once were. And so we have to actively seek and mentor qualified candidates and get those folks, you know, tuned up and ready to roll. Right. And if we, you know, Hey man, if, if we're sitting in the firehouse and go, man, we hire some idiots. Well, whose fault is that? 
Right. Right. Yeah. You got to go out and find those idiots and tune them up. Yep. Right. Yeah. And bring the right, bring the quality people to the game that you want to play with. Right. You want te- guys on your team, go recruit them. Right. Exactly. And uh, again, uh, we're all the product of our mentors and uh, <laughs> I've, I've failed a lot. I've learned a lot. Sometimes the best way to learn is through failure and having uh, small successes and small milestones and, you know, everybody's learning curves different. You shouldn't give up on anybody. And, um, you know, Chief Frank Viscuso always says attitude and effort. If you have a good attitude and you have the good effort, you're going to be a good firefighter. And so if, if those candidates out there that are kind of struggling a little bit, I just learned from another chief, check in with them, ask them what's going on, you know, do that check. Like, Hey, is something going on outside the fire service, something going on at home or, is, is something going on the reason why you're not to your level that you should be inside the station? And I look at it this way. It's simple. 90% of what we do is not fire-related. 90% of what we do is interpersonal skills, the soft skills, living mm-hmm. with a bunch of difficult people in the fire station, being stuck with people on duty that you might not want to work with. And then 10% of what we do is just the fire service, firefighting. So – if we were to talk about the future of the fire service, we we need to get better at taking care of each other, talking with each other, communicating, listening. We need to do better at listening. We need to do better at developing people. We need to do better at mentoring people. And then we could take somebody that has a good attitude and a good effort, and we can turn them into a good fire officer. And then hopefully... They stay with this profession for 30 years and they become a good chief officer. And then we keep that going. And so a, a friend of mine came to me and said, Bake, uh, you know, I know you're not a chief, but is there mentors for chiefs? And so I just talked to a, a good friend of mine. She's a, a regional with the Everyone Goes Home program, just became a, 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 a fire chief for a big agency out in, out in Maryland. And we asked her in, in a symposium that we just had over this weekend asked her who do you call when you need help you're a brand new five bugle fire chief who do you call and i asked her that in the hallway i'm like you know chief who who do you call you're brand new you're cutting your teeth as a fire chief and she's like i have my mentors and i know one of her mentors and um, she she basically said this is my top three people that i would call if I was having a bad day or if there was something I didn't know or if, you know, I needed to help somebody. And so to, to tie this up into a nice little bow, I had a friend tell me, hey, Bake, if you're having a bad day and if you have nobody else to call, nobody's answering the phone, call me because I've lived it, I've experienced it, and I can relate to you. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep you to that. So, you know, um, having an accountability group, having people that you could call, having a network with suicides and everything that's happening in the, in our profession, literally please have a phone number, have somebody on speed dial that you can call a mentor, a friend, another firefighter, somebody that can understand and listen. And then if you need help, they can help you like the peer support. They can help you get help. Yeah, absolutely. Right on, man. Well, so Christopher, bake. <laughs> Where, uh, if folks want to uh, tap into some of the stuff that you're working on, if people want to hear more about the National Fallen Firefighters, if we didn't, man, we didn't get a chance to talk about the uh, Heritage Foundation. Um, but if they want to get some information on the Firefighter Heritage Foundation and, um, you know, learn more about the Everyone Goes Home program through the Fallen Firefighters, et cetera, uh, or, you know, get some information about your mentoring program. Uh, where would they reach you at? Where are they going to find you? Well, I'm on all the different platforms. If you're on LinkedIn, you could just search my name, Christopher Baker, on Twitter, um, C Baker245, Instagram, C Baker245. Uh, Gmail is probably the best email. Uh, Christopher Baker, one word, 245 at the end. You can call me, area code 209 277 9268. I'm on Facebook. Um, so I try to be on all the different platforms. I'm not on Snapchat or TikTok. I don't even know what the hell that is. <laughs> but the kids tell me that videos are really cool right now. Um, but uh, reach out to me and um, connect with me. I, I try to respond to my messages within 24 hours. 
And if you need any help with either mentoring or, or the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation, Everyone Goes Home program, I love history. I'm a big fire history nut. Um, so I love, I love the history, the pride and tradition. Our, our profession is amazing. If you were just to look at the last 200 years of our existence, it's just it's inspiring. So all those kind of things, just reach out to me. And, and my passion is to help not only Mrs. Smith, but also to help each other. Right on. Thanks, Christopher. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fireground Fitness Podcast. Christopher Baker's information is found in the show notes. If you haven't already, subscribe, go to Apple Podcast, rate, leave a comment. Um, appreciate your support in every way, shape, and form. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to me. I can be found at Gray at firegroundfitness.com. I can be found on Instagram, Facebook, etc. cetera, uh, at Fireground Fitness. Now, go on out there, get some.